Now, this woman at the well, we don't know her name, but I want to give her a name because I don't like to just talk about people in the third person. So I was thinking of a name for her this week. I think I want to call her Sally Samaritan. Now, we could call her Samantha, but I want Sally, Sally Samaritan. So I want to look at this, first of all, from her point of view. It's noon, and it's hot. She knows this is not the best time of the day to go the half-mile journey to the well to get water. The heat made the dusty road very difficult, almost unbearable. She would much rather have gone early in the morning when it's still cool, when the birds are singing. But she didn't think she had a choice because that's when the other women from the town went to get water. And she couldn't face the stairs anymore. She couldn't face the whispering and the cold shoulder anymore. You see, all the other women would have treated her like she was the scum of the earth. Some might have shouted cruel things at her, but probably many just look right through her like she's not there. And the, a walk in the hot sun was a small price to pay to escape the sharp tongues she would have had to face in the morning. We don't know where she grew up, but maybe right there in that village and played with the other little girls and had the typical little girl kind of life with laughter and hope and life and dreams, but no more. Maybe through her own choices, maybe through the choices forced on her, maybe through a combination. doesn't really matter, does it? When we turn out in a place we didn't want to go, it doesn't matter how we got there. We're there, and it hurts. But she's now in a place of rejection that's pretty constant. She's been married to five men, five husbands, five different beds, five different rejections. She knows the sound of a slamming door very clearly. She knows the pain of harsh words, and she knows the feeling of being tossed aside like an old sandal. She knows what it's like to love and not be loved in return. And the current guy she's with, he won't even give her his name. Just a bed to sleep in at night. For most of her life, she's looked to men to find her own identity. And somehow she came to believe that without a man, uh, that she had no identity. And so she's probably wondering this day, how did my life get so messed up? This is not how I dreamed it would be. Now, many of you can relate to this. You're in a place in life right now, you're thinking, this is not my dream. This is not what I wanted to be when I was 12 or 13 or 14. This is not how I wanted my life to turn out. But you're there. It's where she was. She probably cried herself to sleep at night and every morning searched for the strength to get up and make that trip at noon to the well. So she did it again. She forces herself to make the journey to the well. And as she gets there, she's used to being alone, but oh, no, there's a man there. And he looks Jewish. I hope he doesn't say anything to me. 
But he does. Jesus starts the conversation. Now, Jews did not talk to Samaritans. Especially Jewish men did not talk to Samaritan women. And so when he says, would you give me a drink? He's violating a social norm. And more than that, because if she gives him a drink, he's got a drink out of her cup, which would make him unclean. So all of this doesn't make sense in the context of the life these people knew. But Jesus does it. Now, Sally had been around the block a few times, a few too many times, not to think that all this guy wants is a drink of water. Men want more than that. And she says, are you a Jew? Uh, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And she's right. Jesus did want more. He did want something more than water. You're right. I am here looking for a drink of water, for more than a drink of water, he says, in essence. I'm here to give you something you have been looking for all of these dry, hurtful, and empty years. If you only knew, if you only knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, you, who, you would have asked me and I would have given you living water. What's Sally thinking? She's still thinking about physical water. You see, the term living water is used to describe water that moves, like a spring, like a well, like a river. It was used very uh, normally, living water. But there's no living water here. There's no well. There's no river. There's just, I mean, there's no springs. There's no river. There's just a well. And so she says, well, how can you give me that kind of water? All we have here is a well. Jacob didn't find any springs. How are you going to? And you know what? On top of all that, you don't even have a bucket to get water out of this kind of well. And that's when Jesus let her know he wasn't talking about some regular water. People soon become thirsty again after drinking this water. But the water that I can give you will take away thirst altogether. It can become a perpetual spring within you, giving eternal life. What's the offering? The thing she's been looking for all her life. Eternal life. Eternal life doesn't mean just living forever, though it does mean that. It means a quality of life. Eternal life means a peace, a joy. It means that God-shaped hole inside of her heart, inside of your heart and mine, that that God-shaped hole that she's been trying to fill with one marriage, one man after another, that that hole which can be filled by nothing else can now be filled. Eternal life means it can be filled by God himself because only he can do it. I think some of us have tried to fill that hole with stuff. And it didn't work. It didn't work for her. Not through the first husband, the second, the third, and the fourth. And you might have thought she would have said enough of this, but she couldn't say that. Because when you're empty inside, you're empty inside, and it hurts, and you need to fill it. And if you don't know how to fill it with the living water that God gives you, keep sticking other stuff in there, dreaming that this will be different, he'll be the right guy, she'll be the right person. Many of us have tried to fill that hole in times past. And you know what you fill it with. But none of it works. 
because it's the kind of thirst that can't be quenched from the outside. Sally had met a lot of men in her life, and the women in the village would have been glad to fill you in on all the details, I'm sure. But she'd never met anyone like this, anyone who offered her something without expecting something in return. So she says, give it to me. I want it. Give me this living water, the one that springs up into everlasting life. And you know what it seems like? It seems like Jesus has got his Samaritan convert. Way to go. It seems like this is it. It's worked. The barrier has been broken. The first Samaritan person has come to be a Christ follower. He should pray now, shouldn't he? Close the deal. Uh, uh, do an altar call there by the well. But he doesn't think that way. Instead, he brings up an issue which could send her totally away. He says, go get your husband. He knows she's not married. He knows she's living with a man outside of marriage. But he says it anyway. How does she respond? With a half-truth. I don't have a husband. Yeah, but that's not the whole story, is it? She isn't being completely honest. But that's what Jesus is asking of you and I to get this living water. Not perfection, but honesty. Honesty where we come clean about what we are trusting in now, what we're looking for now, how we're living now. Honesty to the point of repentance where we say, this is what I'm doing right now and it's not right and, and, and I'm ashamed of it and I'm embarrassed, but, but, but I'm willing to turn from it. Men had been dishonest with her all her life. One line after another, one lie after another. But Jesus doesn't give a line to anybody. He tells the truth. And he wants us to respond with the truth. Honesty about our sin. So Sally's starting to see, whoa, this guy, he's not just a guy. He's at the very least a prophet of God. And so she asked him a question. Maybe she's never met a prophet before. You don't meet them every day. And this question seems to have been on her heart and her mind maybe all her life. It's about how do you know God? How do you know you're worshiping God? So she says, sir, tell me. Uh, the Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place to worship. Us Samaritans claim it's on Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worship. What's going on? She wants to know God. She wants to know where God can be worshipped, how God can be worshipped, what's the right place? And Jesus answers her, it's not where, it's who. It's not where, it's who. Now, it was where at that moment. It was in Jerusalem, and Jesus talks about that. But soon it was not going to be where at all. Soon it was going to be who. Soon it was going to be worship God in every place, in spirit and in truth. The place does not matter anymore. When Christ died and rose again and gave us the new covenant, place is not important now. I toured Jerusalem many years ago. I took a tour of Israel with some other people. And it was a great tour. When we got to Jerusalem, we went to the Wailing Wall. 
And so I thought it was interesting. I'm looking around at some, some archaeology, some history. It's nice. But I looked at some of the Christians who were with me, and you would think that they had for the very first time in their life encountered God. And they started talking in hushed tones like this place they were at, this was the place they could worship God. And many of them wrote down prayers and went up to the cracks in the wall and put them there as if they thought God's here. He'll answer prayers here, but not back at home, not in the plain. And I just wanted to get up and read John 4 <laughs> again. It, it, it's not where anymore. Come on, guys. You're thinking Old Testament. Jesus came to end that. It's who. It's spirit. And it's in truth. And Sally said, I know the Messiah will come, the one who's called Christ. I, I appreciate you, uh, man by the well, telling me this. But, but here's what's going to settle it. When Messiah gets here, it'll be plain. And Jesus tells her, I am the Messiah. And I've just told you all you need to know. Isn't it amazing? Jesus didn't tell the religious leaders of Israel he was the Messiah. He didn't walk into the Romans and say, I'm the Messiah. He came to an ostracized woman in a rejected land. And it was to her beside that well on a hot day, he revealed, I am the Messiah. And he wants to reveal the same to you today. At this point in the interaction between Sally and Jesus, the disciples come. John and the boys show up. John and the guys have been trying to get some lunch and they come back. And now they see this going on. So please listen as Joanna reads from verses 27 to 42. That he talked with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of, which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. 
the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verse 27 through 42. John and all the other disciples, John and the fellas, would have been shocked, amazed, disheartened to see Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman. But they don't say anything. Now, they've been with him long enough now to know, let's don't jump the gun on this thing. He does stuff differently, and let's just wait and watch. All they do is start talking about lunch at that point. And when they do, they get quite a sermon from Jesus. It's a sermon about being on mission. It's a sermon about living on mission, for mission. And we would do well to take that sermon to heart. The fields are white to harvest. Now's the time. Don't say three months from now, but right now. Tell others about Jesus. Uh, this is the, the right time to do it. And all the while, Sally runs back to the village to the people that she did not want to see so much that she was willing to come in the heat of the day to the well. But now she wants to see them, runs to them, and tells them, come on, I've met the Messiah. He told me everything about my life. Come and see. So they came, streaming from the village. And then remarkably, Jesus stays with them two days. And so do all the disciples. They stay in the place that they would go around, not even to pass through. They stay there for two days with these Samaritan people. And remember, John had been away when Jesus talked to the woman at the well. And maybe it's these two days that he hears what was said while he was gone. But he writes it down for us so we can have it all these years later. And a harvest of souls happens remarkably so how does this story relate to you and to me well from it we learn five things five very important things here's the first we learn that Jesus is the Messiah that's it he came out and told it plain to Sally Samaritan there by the well he is the Messiah you don't need to look in any other religions, you don't need to study uh, from any other books besides the Bible. He is the Messiah, the Son of God. He made it plain, and his miracles confirmed it. And I'll be talking about that next week. Second, we learn this. Jesus is not shocked by our sin. That no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you're doing right now, it's not going to cause Jesus to turn away from you. He still pursues you like he did with that Samaritan woman. So you can take off your mask. You can stop pretending because Jesus wants honesty from you. You need honesty. You need to tell it like it is to him and to yourself. If there's going to be living water, if there's going to be eternal life, if there's going to be a change in you, it's got to start there. 
It's got to start with repentance. Like, like, yes, I am doing this. It is wrong, and I'm willing now to confess it, fess up to it, and then run to him, fall at his feet, immerse yourself in his love, his mercy, and his grace. Third, nothing but Jesus can ever quench that thirst inside of you. Now, I don't know how old you are watching this, but it doesn't take until you're in your 50s and 60s to learn this lesson. Uh, You can learn it a lot sooner in life. Nothing can fill it except Jesus. It's a God-shaped hole, and therefore only God can fill that hole. I tried. I tried to fill it with lots of stuff for the first 21 years of my life. But at night when the music was gone and at night when my friends were gone and the night when there was no woman around and I was all alone, uh, I was empty, empty. And I haven't been since I gave my life to Christ. It's a spring of water and I've never thirsted again. And you don't have to either. Four, people are open to the gospel. That's the point of the little sermon Jesus gave to uh, his disciples who were talking about lunch. If this woman, this Samaritan woman by the well, if the entire village of Sychar are open, people are open. If they are, then just maybe that relative who seems hard, who's living a lifestyle that you think is just like like beyond the pale, they might be open right now. And so Jesus knows our tendencies to say three months and then I'll, no. Invite them to watch these services. Call them on the phone. When we start meeting again, bring them here. What did the woman at the well do? Did she know theology? Not really. She just said, come and see a man. Just invite people to come and hear and see. And then last, we learn from this story that every place we are can be a place of worship. Neither in Jerusalem nor on this mountain will they worship, Jesus said. The time is coming when people will worship in spirit and in truth. Do you know what that means? That means that where you are right now, sitting in front of a TV, having your phone as you're walking in the, in the uh, mountains, laying in your bed, watching on your iPad, that right there is a place of worship. That you can build there an altar, not a physical altar. We don't do that anymore. That's the point of what Jesus told her. But you can build an altar. Altar is a place where you worship right there. And right there, you can pour your heart out to Jesus. What should you tell him? Well, what has Jesus told you through this story? Maybe some of you need to be honest with him. Maybe some of you need to say, Lord, I've been saying three months and I'm not going to say it anymore. Maybe with others, it's, Lord, Lord, I believe you're the Messiah. Whatever it is, you build that altar now and you come to that altar and you pour your heart out before the Lord. He's there 
and he's got living water waiting for you. Father, I'm asking in Jesus' name, God, that these altars that are being created all over the world right now, that you would meet people there with living water so they'll never thirst again. Amen.